Here we are. You want to pray, Abdis? Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Yes, uh, Rob, you had a question? Uh, yes, who is John Henry Newman? <laughs> That's correct, for $500. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought, wouldn't that have been funny to like, I don't know, I'm trying to think of our most like intense professors, but just to throw them like a Dr. Barrett or like Father Bema or something and being like, um, or like even to do it to like Bishop Barron, be like, um, yeah, no, interesting point. But, uh, who is, who is John Paul II? Again? <laughs> <laughs> Never tell you I tried to do something like that at a discernment retreat once in college. No. <laughs> um, they had one of those like fishbowl, like write your questions on a card and give them to the priest and he'll answer anything. It was, I don't know, maybe 50 guys at this retreat. And uh, I was sitting there with a buddy and I thought it would be really, we thought it would be funny if uh, one of us wrote the question, just what is celibacy? <laughs> I guess if you just were not aware what that meant, like you knew <laughs> Celibacy was part of priesthood, but you had no idea what it meant. I can see that being really funny when I was in college, by the way. So, yeah. And finally, the priest got to the question. He's like, what is celibacy? And he totally interpreted it. He couldn't imagine that anyone was wondering what the definition of the word was. So, he, you know, it's like, that. that's a, actually a good question. You know, what is celibacy? It's, you know, it, it's relationship and blah, blah, blah. It's like, means you can't get married. Anyway, fun times when you're a kid. <laughs> oh, when life was simpler, you know? <laughs> yeah, back in the day. Stay here where it's safe, kids. Yeah. Another Billy Madison quote. That's right. <laughs> Don't go to high school. <laughs> Stay here where it's safe. <laughs> mm, what kind of coffee are you drinking? Just cheap stuff. Yeah, same. Che- a cheap I'm, cake. I'm up. out of beans, period. I've been buying my beans like a normal person. Mm. And I ran out, and now I'm drinking these Starbucks via... I shouldn't have even said the brand. I hate to give free advertising. Uh, yeah, take that back. Bleep <laughs> that. <laughs> these little via packets that I normally keep in my luggage, just like... I just keep in my luggage mm. for travel. I just, I just got angry all of a sudden and don't know why. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm feeling angry as well. Huh. Anyway, your via packets. Yeah, so I'm drinking this old expired <laughs> instant coffee, which is oh my making me crabby. Oh no, instant yeah. coffee. Well, it's this. It's the those packets of. It's not crystals like dehydrated coffee. It's super finely ground, so so much so that it dissolves in the hot water oh it's like turkey so it's coffee. a little better yeah mm-hmm. but it's still not great <laughs> oh how the yeah. mighty have fallen i know i'm here i'm the coffee guy oh gosh you know what i mean that's true mm-hmm. man i how shouldn't publish this coffee guy yeah we're gonna have to edit all of this out i'm just <sighs> drinking folgers and yeah. actually this morning because i buy these like huge 
gallons of or these huge jugs of Folgers <laughs> coffee. I mean, lasts at least a week. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm lucky, yeah. And it's and I'm like getting towards the end of it, and so it's been sitting around for a little while, and so it's like now old bad coffee. It was already bad, and now it's getting old. And to the point this morning where I was drinking my cup of coffee and just went, oh, man, this is awful. <laughs> <laughs> this is bad coffee right here. Well, and then you know, I kept drinking it. It's cool that uh, this guy, Jason, from Groundswell, who's providing our coffee, roasts the coffee, you know, in-house here in Chicago. I think he only roasts. You have to order on Monday and get it delivered on Thursday because they, they roast to order. Um and they don't they don't sell any coffee at their shop that's been on the shelf more than fourteen days. No way. Yeah. It's called Groundswell? That's amazing. Right. Um oh, that is amazing. Yeah. Groundswell. Cool guy too. Anyway, he, he showed me how to dial in our it's like a simple coffee machine you'd see at a diner or a hotel or something like that, but he I brought over this food scale and he got it dialed into exactly the amount of you know, he brewed one batch of just water to see how much water like a large batch we mm-hmm. put out mm-hmm. and then weighed the water and then did the calculation of like whatever 16 to 1 or whatever the ratio of coffee weight to water weight you want and made a batch tasted it it's like yeah, i could use a little less coffee and weighed out the beans again made another batch and it was like just black coffee that was miles better than anything mm like that I normally make. I normally drink an Americano in the morning because I don't want to make a full pot of coffee. So I just do like a couple of shots of espresso in hot water. Nice. But this this was like, okay, this is what I want to drink now. Uh, only this black coffee. And literally a frat guy, I just put out a batch um, in the afternoon that day. And this, this fraternity comes by Newman and uses our place for like their study hours twice a week. And the dudes were just lapping this stuff up. And this one frat guy goes, I go, do you like it? He goes, this is the best coffee I've ever tasted. <laughs> Which was a very promising <laughs> critique. <laughs> Bear in mind, that's, well, that's a, that's I feel like every 19-year-old frat dude guy, does yeah. is the best, most epic yeah. thing. He's I want this coffee inside my face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the coffee I'm drinking this morning is not very good either. It gets the job done. Yeah, at this point. Exactly. It's early. It gets the job done. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So, Mm. how have you guys been since last time we talked? All those weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been good. I had a really productive day yesterday. Cool. It was nice. These podcast days, you you kind of get up and going, and I I agree. It's a good I'm, start to the day. It is a good start to the day, and it keeps me accountable in the evenings. Like I got to get to bed because I want to be sharp mm-hmm. uh, in the morning. That's dude. That is the thing. Is like if I have a day off the next day, I sometimes I think oh I really need a day off, but I usually waste my days off. But if I have like a day of productive things that I want to do. Mm. Those are my best, most refreshing days. It's like, oh, yeah. I got to start with a podcast in the morning. It's better get to bed. Yeah, see, then I have a frustration because it's like, well, why can't I just use my freedom yeah. for what is best for me? Mm-hmm. But I have to 
things that are scheduled hold me responsible, which is fine. And I think that's kind of the nature of, um, life, you know? Um, but because of that, yeah, I had a, I had a good day yesterday and, um, I got, just got a lot of stuff done. Um, I, I feel like I'm meeting with just tons of, tons of people, like building a lot of relationships here. And so it's nice. I like it. Somebody took me to lunch. My pastor, um, he preached all the masses last weekend. And is that true? Two weekends ago. And I celebrated the Spanish, but he preached um, all of the Spanish and English masses. And he told all the Spanish speakers, invite Father Mike over to eat with him. Because to eat with you because he wants to work on his Spanish. He needs to learn more Spanish. And the way that he learns is get a tortilla and then put some meat in it uh, and then put some chili in it and then get some tequila and speak Spanish to him. And that's how it'll get in his brain. No joke. Since then, I've had like, I don't know, like five to ten invitations to either go to lunch or dinner with with the Spanish-speaking families in my parish. And Cool. Yeah, it's been really fun. So... Did they all involve tequila? Um, yesterday was offered at lunch, and I said, um, "Of course, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. no, 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 no. I uh, <clears throat> I haven't had any tequila with any of the meals yet, but I'm hoping there's a dinner tonight. I think there will probably be some tequila tonight. Fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Dang, I wish I could speak Spanish, man. It's one of my big regrets from seminary. You should oh, rock well. the Duolingo, dude. I'll in, I'll invite you so I get a free month of Duolingo Plus. <laughs> I'm working on French right now. Okay, that's about you. <laughs> that's not about <laughs> me. <laughs> but it'll help you learn Spanish. Yeah, that just came right other. out. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. No. I well, I was going to do an immersion, which would have been awesome, but I ended up doing the 30 day instead. Which, mm-hmm. without the 30 day, I probably wouldn't be a priest, and yeah. life wouldn't be as good. Blah blah blah. But still, I. Still wish I could speak a little Espanol. Mm-hmm. I've tried Duolingo for some French before. It's yeah, I like it, I like it. But I've never paid for it. I didn't know there was a pay version of Duolingo. Well, it's just ad free. Oh, I see. Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. Speaking Spanish. Mm. What's the uh, what's the status over at SIUE? Um, that's good, man. Yeah, it's just, I don't know if you guys kind of feel this, but it feels always like such a push to get to Thanksgiving and then like the semester's over. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to think. We started a last week, um, so I'm there on Wednesdays. I usually say a noon mass and then go out to lunch on campus and um, not every week, but might like meet with somebody or whatever, but hang out for a few hours usually. And we started a, a holy hour on from 3:15 to 4:15 on um on campus at the Thunderdome and yeah it was really well attended last week and so I'm very excited about that and I think reflecting and this is not a critique of like anything going on there this is like a critique of myself and and how we prepped this year and because this is you know like I was in on all of that and kind of what I was um trying to push etc was like a lot of outreach and all that, which was, I, I mean, it went very well. The students did awesome, and um, we got good things going on. But 
Yeah, I just don't think we had a, I don't think as like the priest out there, I put a big enough emphasis on prayer, mm. honestly. And so it kind of felt this pull back to it. And actually a couple of students brought up to me like a desire for a holy hour sometime. And I'd be like, yeah, I think we can, I think I can, I'd be happy to like commit to that and make that happen. Um, because I think it's really good. And I, yeah, it's like the best thing we've done this semester is huh. that it's only, this is only week two, but it was really, really good, like really good. And so it's a good reminder for for me, kind of like Soul of the Apostolate stuff. Like, have you guys ever read that that book? No. Oh man, Soul of the Apostolate. That's a great. I think that's. It was like the bedside book of maybe Pius the Tenth or so. I think Cardinal Dolan reads it every Lent. I've heard him talk about too. Um, I read it when I was working for Focus. Um, but it's a great spiritual read. It's a great like Lent or Advent read. Is Soul of the Apostolate? But I mean, pr- the driving point just over and over again is that like you can be as active as you want and kind of do all of this other stuff, but unless it's spirit driven and like actually a fruit of, of prayer and what God's doing, then like, it's not going to matter at the, in the end. Um, but if you actually commit to that and let Jesus show up and do his thing, like that's going to be where the growth you're desiring is going to come from anyway. Mm hmm. And I don't know why that's so dang hard to remember, but it is. And um, so that's my little synopsis. So good stuff, good stuff. But that was a good, I was just praying out there last week and I was like, man, why did it take me this long to, not me, but um, it's just really good to have a holy hour out there. This should have been the first thing that that we tried to do. Hmm. But it can be discouraging when you do that and no one comes. Sure. Yeah, so no, that's true. That's it's true. nice to have a little bit of a base to... Absolutely. We, st- we started it this year, uh, Monday through Thursday, four to five exposition and confessions. And um, it's great having the focus missionaries here because they're kind of, that's when they do the holy hour. So we're guaranteed yep. to have at least four. Mm-hmm. But that has really grown. Um, regularly at Benediction, there will be like 10 or 15 people there um, just praying and agreed best thing we've done this year hmm. this is more adoration it's interesting to hear people talk about adoration because we start we do a, a one week a month we do adoration at the parish here and kind of the long-term dream would be and it just kind of how it's how people respond and like what the parish has resources for to to you know um man it etc but i mean like the long long-term dream would be to have perpetual adoration here at the parish. Um, but it's interesting to hear people, I mean, from like older people to busy moms and dads to like college freshmen and sophomore, like talk about how much they love going to adoration and it's just peaceful and it, it makes you kind of unplug for a little bit of time. Um, so anyway, it's like, it's just very interesting to me. Mm Mm-hmm. There's so much like, waiting and waiting in prayer. And to your point of why do I always keep to keep forgetting this? It's I often feel like in adoration, I've had such a, intense experiences in Eucharistic adoration in my life. And yet I can go back there and be like, I don't know how to do this. Hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or prayer yeah. in general. Um, but just recently it's been, 
really good. Um, praying. Um, yeah, I don't know how much I want to say, but it's just the Lord is he's uh, pretty crazy with his surgeon surgeon's knife. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you really, really sit there long enough mm-hmm. to let him do it. Um, I think that's that's what's becoming really clear to me in five years of priesthood and 34 years of life is like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, I have no idea what any of this means in the grand scheme of things, but I know that I'm loved and that God who's uh, able to see the full picture and accomplish a great deal more than I could on my own, which is nothing. I can do on my own. Um, Maybe that's the soul of the apostolate idea is like, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. Hmm. Um, Self-reliance, perfectionism, uh, frustration with your own weakness or inability or, or ignorance. All of that kind of melts away when you, are there at adoration and like truly there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So no, quit sinning and pray more. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Dude, one, that's one feeling I had, maybe I'll share this is like, um, when you're like a little kid, uh, I'm sure you have memories of feeling not safe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like lost or bullied or embarrassed or or whatever. Um, and that feeling is like alive and well in my adult self mm-hmm. at different times. You know what I mean? Um, and reading this... Uh, this book I've referenced a couple the last couple of times, that Sacred Gaze book. She's talking about the false selves from Merton and whatnot. Um, and she's talking about being a people pleaser. Did I talk about this before? No, right? Um, I don't think you've so. You talked about the book before. I don't know. Yeah. Here, just keep just keep going. She says uh, she realized that she was a people pleaser, and like she had somehow assumed the responsibility of keeping everyone comfortable and amused. When she was young, um, that was her job was to make sure that everybody was fine, you know? Um, and if there was a fight that she would placate it or, you know, conflict would be made better or avoided by her, you know, just distracting people or, or whatever. And, um, what she realized was that why this, why this became so annoying to her was that she had this inner cop that, um, held everyone responsible for, every little discourtesy, you know, cutting you off in traffic or leaving the toilet seat up or whatever, because she was so eager to make sure that everyone else was comfortable. Um, she found transgressions against that, like just selfish people or people that create conflict rather than try to avoid it would just really annoy her until the point where she would either like nuke them like with an explosion or, just totally cut them off. You know what I mean? Um, and what she realized this pattern was that 
she had two false selves. One was the false self that is afraid they won't survive or be secure. You know, I'm not going to get what I need. And so I have to grasp out and reach out and make sure that I get what I need is fighting with the false self that needs to be loved and affectionate or receive esteem and affection basically. And so the two false selves fight one another because one wants what it needs and the other wants people to like them. And then you get into this conundrum where it's like, well, maybe I'm too nice. Maybe I'm so nice that I'll never get what I need. You know what I mean? Hmm. Um, and then you're just stuck because you can't, you can't upset people by like being honest, but if you're not honest, then you're just going to get walked on. Um, which I thought, I thought like, that's such a good insight about, um, why things can balloon like that. And you don't even, you don't even realize what you're doing but if you had that security of knowing yourself to be loved like i think of christ in the garden hmm. he's suffering a great deal um because he knows all these people that he loves uh and who he's dying for are just gonna reject him and i mean i, I always think like what's the worst that could happen to me <laughs> and there's some pretty bad stuff that could happen that's out of my control but at the end of the day Nothing worse than that, you know, <laughs> being arrested falsely and uh, condemned to death, abandoned by all your friends, betrayed, uh, and finally killed. And it's not like he didn't feel forsaken. He said, I, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he couldn't have gone there if he didn't know deeply in himself that he was the son. You know what I mean? That... Uh, his identity had been revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration and at his baptism. You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Um, that God is pleased with him. Um, and that therefore, like, our incorporation into him, God feels the same way towards us. Not pleased by every one of our actions, but pleased by us for who we are, you know? Um and so putting on this performance or thinking, thinking that what you do has anything to do with God's love. Um, of course, he wants us to do things for our sake. He wants us to not sin and be good. This is pretty boilerplate gospel stuff, but it's just, like you said, why do I forget this? Um, it's very easy to forget stuff like that. Like, who am I deeply? No. Which is yeah, why, and, like, and, I felt like the same way, Rob, that the best thing I did at, at my parish was start a holy hour, even though that mm. was never that highly attended. But, you know, the 15 or 20 people that would come to that week in and week out were praying for the parish. And mm -hmm. it was rooted in Christ, whatever was going on and whatever fruit it bore came from that. Not, oh, we have a really clever plan that's really relevant and cool. You know, yeah. who cares? Yeah. Well, and even even Christ had to go up and, I mean, countless times in the Gospels, he goes up and prays and just spends time alone with the Father. So even someone who knew his identity, had his identity revealed to him, lived in the reality of the Father's will, had to step aside and go and pray 
He was also the, the second like, person of the Trinity. Not, he's also know. the second person of the Trinity. <laughs> Side note, caveat. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's like, wait, do I need to do that? I don't know. I'm pretty good. <laughs> Uh, Jesus did it he is like literally consubstantial with the father (laughs) and he still has to like step aside and pray Um, yeah that's kind of what I preached on this weekend with Zacchaeus Um, that was a good gospel wait we're we're posting this uh... oh next week you mean two weeks ago oh two weeks (laughs) oh yeah wait can you cut that do you have the time No, dang it! Leaving it all in. (laughs) Two weeks ago. (laughs) Oh well. Um, We never. By the way, now that we're out, we never do this normally, but we're just doing it this week. I don't think anyone would even pick up on it. Okay, well, let's stop talking about it. (laughs) Anyway, two weeks ago. (laughs) Two weeks ago, when I was preaching on (laughs) Zacchaeus, it's amazing how well you remember your homilies. No, I can't. I can't lie. It was this past weekend. the idea well i mean there, there there was a lot of things that were going on. the readings that's another thing that i've learned in priesthood and and i remember going through seminary there was always this kind of not competition but a, a conversation about well when you're praying during the week as a priest should you pray in preparation of your homily or is that more like um a doing something in prayer instead of just praying um and so for a while I tried to do my holy hour and then prep my homily and kind of pray with it separate. But recently I've, I've started to pray. I mean, specifically during my holy hours with, with the, the readings for each weekend. And it's insane how much they've spoken to me directly and exactly what I need. And then allowing what the Lord did with me in prayer to like that fruit to actually be what I preach on. Um, I don't know if that's been, if y'all have had that, that internal dialogue of what do I do with this, but um, I've enjoyed very much praying with the Sunday readings hmm. and they've been very relevant to me personally. Um, I would agree. But Yeah. So do y'all usually pray with the actual weekend readings during your holy hours and things? Not all the I time. I try to, at, not, yeah, not all the time. I try to at some point during the week. Is kind of my mantra right now. Okay. Well, so, I mean, the, the long and the short of it is that nobody else could see who Zacchaeus really was. They All they saw was, and that's where I kind of drew from the first reading, like the metaphysics and the theology that was present in the first reading is super beautiful from the Book of Wisdom. But God loves thing, all things that are and nothing that is. He hates, he wills all things that exist. How can a thing be preserved if if he himself doesn't speak it into being? That's like intense theology there. Um, and that Christ sees through Zacchaeus's sin in his mercy, which his sin is like the fake version of Zacchaeus, where that's all everyone else can see. It's like just the stuff that Zacchaeus does. He's a miserable wretch, which is interesting as well because Zacchaeus is hiding in the sycamore fig tree which is like i don't know it's like adam and eve stuff he's like hiding in these fig leaves and the lord looks through all of that baloney all that like cloud of of less than what he could be and sees who he really is and calls him and says like zacchaeus i want to be with you and when zacchaeus sees how jesus looks at him then he's like 
oh, this is who I really am. And that's the thing that actually has this deep conversion of heart for Zacchaeus. You know, it wasn't Jesus necessarily coming and calling out his buffoonery and like stealing from his own people and all the things that he was doing wrong. But he he comes and actually looks at who Zacchaeus really is. And so that's essentially what I said is like, I have to look at how Jesus looks at me in order to remember who I am or else I'm just going to believe I'm going to live in the cloud of, of nothingness that I am. Um, which is like normally what we see, what we see each other as, but Christ, his merciful gaze pierces through our facades and is like, no, I see who you really are because I love all things that are. And like your sin is a lack of what you're supposed to be. So I, I see it, but I look through it and I see who, who I created. And, and so then I have to look at Christ in order to be reminded that I am not my sin, but I am loved by the Lord. And, and like, that's so, it's such a powerful thing. And so he cuts through this, the shame of the fig leaves and, and then comes and enters into communion with him, which, um, like is, is exactly the rhythm of the liturgy as well. So it, it leads to communion with the Lord, but yeah, it's so, it's so easy to forget. And, and I also think that's an element of just general friendship, like Brimmer and you know, I can't see you guys, but when I spend time with friends, like the way that they see me, the way that I see them look at me is oftentimes with such deep love. It's like, oh, you see something even deeper in me than I can see in myself. And so I want to spend time with people who love me, other faces and other eyes, so that I can actually see myself and then see the world correctly and and all these other things from there. Um, yeah, but I think it starts, that's adoration. Like, look at Jesus, who will let you know who you are. Um, and it's a constant return return to that. So I, I kind of preached on a similar idea. Hmm. You know, it's making me think of uh, a talk I just listened to uh, by Ian Butler. He's the. Uh, do you guys remember Whoa, that name? Ian Butler. Yeah, he's I remember awesome. Mets mm-hmm. and Porter talking about how awesome he is. He yeah, he's is. like a psychologist. He's who's big at IPF. Um, mm-hmm. He might have taught one of the courses there, but it was a talk on perfectionism, and he's talking about um, like when you're a baby, all you ever experience normally in a normal your normal babyhood is delight. People look at you. And they want, they are smiling at you because they want you to smile back at them. And he said that this is like a a psychological ritual called collecting. Um, And you see in children, they go out into the world and they're just trying to collect um, that affection or that that encounter with with a face, you know, that where I see you, you see me, and we both delight in one another. So like a kid at mass in the pew in front of you, is distracting because both that they and you feel this need to collect one another, you know, and like get the other to, to look at you and laugh or, or smile or whatever. And that's, that's that ritual of delight. Um, and he says, that's a good practice like, in parenting to before you, um, you know, when a kid comes home from school or you come home from work or you, you're getting them up in the morning for school, uh, 
after you've been with a person for a long time, this, this could be with a, a peer or two, like a spouse or a friend or whatever. Um, there's a reason for the ritual that good morning, you know, um, and just looking at one another and saying like, wow, look at you. Look at me. We're here. Have you oh, seen yeah. this, this <laughs> meme? This meme on the, on the internet? Look at us. Look at us. Like, have you seen that with Paul Rudd? Oh, it's oh. A, a hilarious little meme. Anyway, um, where you, yeah, delight in the presence of the other person first. And then you can go at like, hey, we're running late. Hurry up. Um, get dressed. It's time for school. But if you don't, if you don't know yourself first, like in your human relationships to be loved and delighted in, then it is all conditional. Um, and he said he, when he first had to say no to his first child was when he started to crawl and he started crawling over to the bookcase. Like he realized he had never said no to this kid. Hmm. Um, and the only reason he had to say no now was to protect him and whatnot. But he's like, wow, it's the death of an, of an era. This kid has only ever known people delighting in him and now we have to say like here are the boundaries and what's acceptable what's not acceptable um but if we're not careful it's like very very easy to fall into like lose the delight part of it uh and just go into the conditions and then and then your whole relationship with god and with other people is based in what i can do for you or what you can do for me or what's expected of me and how do i keep you happy what do I need to do? What do I need to avoid? And we take that into the, our relationship with God, and it's not good. Um, and that's part of the, like the hardest part of the spiritual exercises sometimes for me is that for the space of our of an our Father, behold God beholding you. Um, it's like, what does that look like? You know, you're just looking at me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of, yeah. it's yeah. not exactly a uh, a science. It's just human communication. Yeah. But sometimes I prefer, I would prefer if it was just a code, like, okay, start with Lexio, then you do Meditatio, then you do Oratio, you know, but like your question about, do you pray with the readings? Um, I do, but I try these days to really make sure that I just pray with nothing. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, To just go be with God in the morning, the afternoon, before I go to bed, um, to continually check in and, you know, do the, do the bravery, do the holy hour, do the rosary and stuff like that. But, um, that's the, the meat of it is that, that being collected it's, that's recollection. He says is recalling that truth that God's looking at you. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, or the recognize, the recognitio, the re re-knowing of the, of that truth. Yeah, because I mean, I do have to learn these things every day. I have to learn that every day. Yeah, how the Lord looks at me. And then the thing is, it's crazy how our human relationships can just condition us so much and put us in a certain place for prayer. Because you're right, like if you, if somebody has been looked at with love their whole life, you know, it's almost an expectation when they come to the Lord, that certainly translates through. But if somebody has not experienced that in their parents or friends or family, um, maybe they've never been delighted in, like, that would be really difficult. 
um, and would certainly condition a lot of the starting points for prayer. Um, yeah, and then vice versa, when this happens in prayer, um, when I actually allow myself to be looked at and to see myself the way that Jesus actually looks at me, then I'm able to go out and actually look at other people correctly. And so then it, it translates also back into those very real human relationships. So I'm not just barging into people's offices being like, okay, let's do work now. But I actually take time, look at the other person, uh, try to be with them and delight in them. And then, and then you know, everything else will flow from there. Uh, but such an important starting point. It is the most important starting point. And I forget it. So here's my question. Is what the heck does all this mean, though? Because like that's that's kind of the question that I feel like I'm posed with most as a priest is like this language of like is seen and being seen and and all of that. And I I mean I think what we're saying is the point is that we really don't know how to do it. I don't know if I'm hearing that right, but like when we experience it it does change, it changes us, changes the person. But maybe that's kind of what I, the point like I'm wrestling with here is like besides telling people, hey, you are loved and reminding ourselves that we're loved and like we have to just do this every day because we don't have it figured out. Um, does that make sense what I'm asking there is how do you give this to someone else? It's very existentialatio i think you guys were talking about wrecking all those re-words so um no but it's like it's kind of so existential in the like talking about it then how do you like give that away what do you think was that to me or rob either one i was thinking rob but no i mean it's just I mean, I think you just continue to show up. I, there's just not a a formula for it, but that's what I'm finding too. Of like the language around this stuff is it's hard, man. Um, and like sometimes I'll talk or like in a sense invite someone to like, hey, let the Lord like show you who you are, or. Um, you know, ask the Lord to like show you how he sees you, which is powerful stuff. And so I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to like walk away from that. But then there's also, also recognition of like, okay, but, uh, Hey, father Rob, what does that mean? Be like, Oh, I actually don't know, but I just know like when it happens, it's amazing. Does Hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Well, it's just what I was I thinking think, of. Yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying. There's no easy answer. That's why that's why I said it right. When we talk about adoration, like it's so it takes so long. Mm-hmm. Um You know, I've been at this for a long time, still relatively young, but um there's another thing she says in this book, like if I could go back to being twenty four <coughs> or whatever. In no way would I do that. Even though my body would work better, I would have less health problems. Things would be simpler. <laughs> um, but I do not want to go back to that 
level of knowledge. Like, I'm so glad that even though I've gone through a lot of suffering and um, all of that, uh, you know, it's, it's this pilgrimage in life of getting out of the, well, it's kind of going out into the desert, really. Um, that great symbol of Eden, the spring of water is like popping out of the desert, out of the rock. Like you have to leave Egypt. You have to leave your security. And that's so much of what this is about to me is like, we have all of these little, whether you want to call them fig leaves or, um, whatever, hiding us like doors that we won't open to anyone. Right. You know, and, uh, God is just like patiently waiting, mm-hmm. winning our trust through people, through the spirit and our own prayer and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I where, think where we can go. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I, yeah, just to tie it back into the safety <clears throat> thing, you know, like feeling, feeling safe. That's really what, like what it's for. I think at the end of the day is not just like a self-actualization. Um, now I'm all healed up and. I don't have anything psychologically or spiritually wrong with me. That's great. But um, what I really want to be is free, like a child. Um, I want to be not selfish like a child, but free like a child. You know, I want to have a mature adult sense of myself and um, my mission in life. But at the same time, know myself to be like totally safe to explore and be free and delight and have fun. Like you said last time, life should be fun. So, so much of this misery and these false selves and these little like crusted over scabs that we, that protect these vulnerable parts of us, keep us from having fun, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that's the truth, man. That is the truth. Yeah. And it's interesting. It's like, I guess what I preached on with the Zacchaeus thing, which that story like really is powerful. But I just, it was so fast. Like, that story moved so fast in the gospel of, like, just noticing a couple things of, I don't know if you guys caught this, but, like, it said that Jesus intended to pass through the town. He was going into Jericho. And then, so there's something in this encounter, like, with Zacchaeus that makes him stay and then stay at his house, even though he intended to pass through the town. But, like, also, I can't remember exactly how it's worded, but it just seemed like Zacchaeus, all he wanted to do was see Jesus. Like, he wasn't looking to meet him, at least how I read it. Um, He was just kind of curious of how it was worded. And then somehow Jesus sees him in this, in the sycamore tree and like says, I will stay at your house. And then immediately Zacchaeus says that he'll give half of his possessions to the poor and repay whatever he is like done wrong to people four times, four times over, but it's so fast. And so I don't know. I was just, I I guess I was more struck by that. It happened than how it happened. Like actually what was going on or like how you kind of work. And it's not, that's like a fascinating thing of how it happened. But there was just kind of this sense of like that it happened. And so 
I think that can happen again, like in people's hearts and, and lives. Um, does that make sense? That difference there? I don't know. I mean, that's just kind of like where I was with it is mm-hmm. that it's so an experience and adoration or something like that. It's like, I, maybe I'm just kind of coming to terms with how much I don't know how this works. Um, <laughs> but I think that it works. Um, yeah, I'll stop talking and rambling now. Don't know how it works. I know that it works. Yeah. It's like Dorothy Day said about the radio. <laughs> that was how she like was confident in the whole God exists. Jesus is God. The sacramental economy. The Eucharist is Jesus. Like, I don't know how it works. But like this radio, I don't know how it works either. But I know it turns <laughs> on and it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think, Mike? Well, I I mean, I think it's a it's a good question. Um Yeah, I don't know. I mean, one of the big things that at least grounded um grounded everything that I was saying in my homily and just this need to be this serious need to be to be known and to be seen and to be looked oh, yeah. at. Um is like that's part of what God's mercy is is he can penetrate through me even when I'm not even capable when I, when I don't even know what's going on inside of me um and and so well obviously a lot of it's trust in the lord but a lot of what grounded my homily was having so many good people in my life having so many loving people in my life where I've been blessed with human interactions with like normal everyday interactions where I can think of times when like, Oh my gosh, this person loves me. They're looking at me with such intense love right now. And like, I don't even know what they're seeing right now, but I know that they love me really truly. And I, in some way, I think people have, Maybe not that profound or ones that they can remember or that consistent or all the time when they were growing up. But, um, I don't know. I think beginning with that human experience, like, well, what does it look like? When was a time that you were looked at and you were loved? Hmm. And then start from there. Cause like, if that person's doing that, I believe that that's a sharing in how God looks at you. And the Lord is using these other faces and these other people to reveal how he sees you all the time. And so to use the face of another to allow God's look of love to actually enter into your life, I think that's very real. But we have to have something tangible, like you said. And I think so much of that homily in a lot of my life was grounded in like being looked at with great love from from people. And and that's a, that's total grace. That's free gift, obviously. Um, but I think you got to start with the human experience there because that's something that hits uh, that everybody knows. And if they don't like, shoot, that's awful. Well, (laughs) I would just add that they might know it, but the second half of it is receiving it. And that's, I think what's hard for some people, especially if Mm. you've had some kind of wound that, um, doesn't allow you to to believe it 
you know, like this person really does love me, but if they knew me, they wouldn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, or like I actually told, I started the homily with a Zacchaeus of, uh, man, classic Nikki Kowalczyk, seventh grade at the seventh grade dance. Our eyes met hmm. and I was loved in that moment. And then did you, that's how you me. started your homily? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. But, yeah. I mean, it was, well, it was the whole thing of like, yeah, people have that experience of no, like, a, a look like can have this really powerful experience um but then the next week she dumped me so oh, that's it is what Come it is on. you know but you uh, still hold on to that check. that look uh <laughs> sacred look yeah yeah across the dance floor did you guys yep. dance like three feet apart and all that oh yeah, yeah. definitely definitely <laughs> man definitely yeah. sorry connor go ahead yeah what was i gonna say well i think um one thing that, have you ever heard of this, like, uh, I've heard this uh, expression recently, parenting yourself mm. when it Haven't comes to, it. when it comes to like, I can't get to bed on time. <laughs> you just need to like parent yourself, treat yourself as somebody you're, Jordan Peterson has that in his book, treat yourself like someone you're responsible for taking care of. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but especially if you have, if you have some place in you that you think like can't be loved um or you have a hard time receiving love either from people or from god to go to that place yourself and love you you know this sounds very psycho babble um eat pray love ish but i think there's some validity to it because if you can see yourself say like at some point some stage in your life where you feel some shame or some inadequacy or weakness or you don't measure up or whatever and you're trying really hard and you figure out some other way to cope or build up a defense mechanism or make some vow that I'll never be this vulnerable again because this happens, you know, something that happened to you in school or whatever. Go to that kid and as your adult self who's, you know, rational and grown up and can take responsibility for the situation and also knows that kid intimately, you know, knows exactly what's going on. And just go take care of him or her um, and give them the love that they needed hmm. in that moment. And and then have God do that for you now, that same thing. Um, and it's, of course, an act of faith, but so is turning on the radio. Like you, you trust that God, that if I can feel this way towards myself, of course God feels a million times more compassion. Does that make sense? I th I think so. So you're saying like spiritually parent yourself in a way like that imaginative Ignatian method, you know. Um, the healing of memories and all that, like Scott Harder's talk. Um, go back and see God in these in these places, but I think yeah. It, well, in, 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 a, also, in a way, you're the best. You're the best one to do it because you have the insight. You know the experience as intimately as anyone, except yeah. God. God knows better. Yeah, it, it, <clears throat> I mean, there's also something that's um, that is absolutely surprising and out of control um, with God, where, like, like you said, Rob, like. He can just show up, and then all of a sudden, your your world could be totally different. Um, 
or uh, like he's there and he could be working in a different way and it's entirely possible that he doesn't work in the way that you think he's going to work as well. Right. And so we can do all of this stuff. Like we can do a lot of work to get down to some of the, maybe to make a distinction, like some of the psychological or emotional places where we don't receive love. Um, but at the end of the day, like, and I don't say this to contradict what you're saying, Connor, but I can't love myself to healing or I can't love myself to the fullness of love. And right. so at some point Christ has to walk by and, and point at me and look at me. And of course he's always doing that. Um, you know, but th- in prayer, like we can do a lot of things and then to sit there and like the words in silence. And you're like, what the heck? I thought <laughs> I did all the things. Mm. I did everything. I'm in the tree. I climbed a tree in Jericho, by the way. Did and you? got yelled at. Yeah, at the Zacchaeus. Not the Zacchaeus tree. <laughs> but it was next to the Zacchaeus tree. Which is still tree. there, I'm sure. It is. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It was, uh, yeah. So I can climb the tree. Like, I can get in position. I can be right exactly in the right spot. I can say all the right things. And, but it's not me. Like it, there is actually another person who has to walk by and I don't control him. I know he's always, I know he's there. I know he's looking. Um, yeah. And that's, that's like a super mystery is I thought you said you were looking at me always in love Lord and that your presence was your, you know, your, your look of love was always upon me. And yet I feel like I'm totally open to receiving that and where are you <laughs> like yeah that's, that's it man that's uh, exactly what i was asking yeah i mm, that's a good question that hurts that hurts that does hurt all right bro dudes cut it about to have a good day. Started with the podcast. I got a new iPhone today. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.